0: I'm T.L. Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. As a father of many children, there is a ubiquitous experience. And that's that one morning you wake up and the kids are grown. Uh, we have uh, on, our, on our Apple TV... As the screensaver comes on, there's these pictures uh, that scroll through of, of Kristen's favorite photos, uh, whichever one she happens to take at a given time. If it's one that she really likes, she'll throw it in an in a album called Mommy's Brag Book, and that will make its way onto the screensaver so that in the, in the time that we're not watching a show, which is probably most of the time, uh, our family photo albums are rushing across the screen and I find that really good for me as a dad because it can be so easy to get caught up in the the moment and to see what the children are, are doing now. And it, whether it be something that's frustrating or something that's time consuming or something that grabs your, all your energies and you can get so wrapped up in what's happening right now that you forget to be present right now. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, You get caught up in the emotion that that moment represents rather than taking the time to step back from that moment so that you can be fully present in that moment and not not just subject to your own emotions or your own current perspective on that. So one of the things that this does for me as these photos are up is it reminds me that life is a journey. As I have the preteen that can be frustrating from time to time, I look up and I see this photo of him as an infant and as a three-year-old and as uh, a, a seven-year-old. And I think that wasn't that long ago. And I remember that event. And all of a sudden, just by seeing uh, where he came from, I can appreciate where he is now with a knowledge that he is not complete. He's going somewhere else. And so it helps me put in perspective this current moment in the framework of the entirety of his life and to be more present to him now so that I don't wake up and realize that I've missed out, right? We are continually growing. We have not arrived. And this has implications as well on the way that we view our spiritual life. We can get so caught up in the moment and the place that we are that we can forget that this is a continuum. We have not arrived. Yes, hopefully we have grown closer to God and and overcome Uh, temptations that used to hold us so tightly. But we've not arrived. We're still in the process. And so this present moment that we're in, whether it be a a pleasant one or a difficult one, it is not the final one. We are called continually to the process of conversion. To help us explore that more deeply today, we're going to be talking with Sean McAfee. He is the the founder of EpicPew.com and has also written several books, uh, one that's coming out in a month's time called I'm Catholic, Now What?, <laughs> which I think fits really well with this idea of, uh, you know, once you have arrived, you really you've only arrived at the trailhead, just at the very beginning. And uh, we're going to talk about that on this, our fifth anniversary show. Uh, today, or actually tomorrow, marks five years of Outside the Walls uh on St Michael Catholic Radio. Uh of course we've expanded beyond that. Now we have 15 stations all across Oklahoma and Iowa, Central Iowa. Uh, and then we're also podcast uh each and every week on outsidethewalls.com. Uh, what what a journey this has been. It, it, it's certainly not one that I ever would have anticipated. Um uh, my my estimation, uh, you know, just randomly, I don't even remember how it came up. Uh but randomly uh, Adam Minahan and David Niles came and asked me, "Hey, do you want to do a radio show? We've got this new station that we're launching up." And and I thought about it and said, "No, I, I really am. I'm not that interested in that at all. Um, I have a lot of children and a full time job, and I'm not sure that that I can really pull that off." And uh, being being men of action as yes, they are, <laughs> they went and they talked to the bishop, and they went and talked to my wife, and both of them thought it was a fantastic idea. And so uh, I started doing this and have found that I just absolutely love it. Uh, It is the highlight of my week and uh, I haven't missed an episode yet. Each and every week uh, I find, even if I'm sick, sick as a dog, I find the energy to find someone to talk to, have an interview and have it ready for you so that we can have this conversation on Saturday morning. Of course, Adam and David now are the hosts of the Catholic Man Show. They saw how much fun I was having and decided that running the station was not enough. They needed to also host. So I'm indebted to them for the crazy idea that they had to, uh, to start a radio station. We've talked to them before on the, on the show. If you go to OutsideTheWalls.com, over in the sidebar, there's the list of all of our guests, and you can find either one of them, uh, David Niles or Adam Minahan, and listen to that episode to get a little bit of the backstory so that you can know the rest of the story. And if you really want to know the rest of the story, well, there are lots of extras that we give to those people who support the show. Uh, this, this show is a labor of love. It's a, it's a hobby. It's something I love doing. But it's not something that anyone pays me to do except for the few people who love the show and want to see it succeed and continue and support the show through Patreon. And all the Patreon supporters get extra goodies, right? Uh, yes, you get the show anytime you want. It's on demand. You can listen to it on Saturdays on, uh, on the broadcast. But there's extra segments. While I have some of these fantastic theologians, scholars, authors, and more, I always take a little bit of extra time to ask a few extra questions uh, and get down to the heart of the matter. And we make those extra segments available to our Patreon supporters. You can become one of them for as little as five dollars a month and get a weekly extra segment. You can do that by going to outsidethewalls.com and up in that top right-hand corner, you'll find the link that says "Support the Show hyphen Patreon." I'd love to have you be a part of that community, but regardless, I'd love for you to be a part of the ongoing conversation. Why don't you join me over on social media? You can find it there at Facebook.com/slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. I'd love to know a little bit about your ongoing conversion. Where has God been drawing you deeper in recent days? Come over and share that story with us and then come right back as we're going to talk with Sean McAfee about his book. I'm Catholic. Now what? Right after this break, there's much more to come. You're listening to outside the walls with TL Welcome back to Outside the Walls as we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host TL. And we're talking today with Sean McAfee. He's joining us all the way from, uh, from Italy, just outside of Padua. And, uh, it should be easy enough to say the name, but I'm not going to say it wrong. So uh, we're just going to keep right on rolling along. Uh, Sean is the founder of Epic Pew. Uh, if you've read anything from that wonderful website, then you have this guy to thank for it. Uh, He's also the author of the book Reform Yourself and several other books. And the one we're talking about today, which I think is so important, is uh, I'm Catholic, Now What?, which is coming out in December. You can pre-order it now. Uh, You can also get it on Amazon starting November 21st. So make sure you go and take a look at that. Now, uh, specifically, I wanted to talk with you about this today because I think, uh, and you can all correct me if I'm wrong, and you will, I think that the best Catholics— are converts? Now hold on, don't don't get upset. Don't change the radio dial yet. I think the best Catholics are converts because all of us are called to continual conversion. Each of us are called in this universal call to holiness to to continue to reform ourselves, as your previous book talked about, uh, and and to be on this continual path of conversion. So each of us who is living the faith is. Hopefully, a convert. Uh, even if you grew up in the church, you still will will accept you into our numbers as as the converts to the faith. Uh, Sean, thank you for being on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me. Great introduction. I couldn't agree with you more about the uh, about the delicacy that we talk about converts with because it does you know it does unfortunately rub some cradle Catholics quote unquote wrong, but. You know, what I learned is that is that even the most on fire cradle Catholics, they do tend to say, you know, I learned the most from converts, Sean. I learned so much from your from your conversion story or this or that. And it's precious to hear that kind of thing, but a due respect needs to be given to the exactly what you said, the you know, continual conversion that we are all called to called to. But also, this is that cradle Catholics possess something that every convert wants, and that's fidelity. Is mm-hmm. we didn't grow up with something that we really missed out on in a number of years whether we converted in our teens or our twenties or our fifties or on our deathbed, it's something that we wish we had done. Um, and so there's a, there's a big debt we have to cradle Catholics who usually are the ones who, you know, end up in one way or another, maybe it's through an RCIA sponsor or a, or a priest usually end up getting us into the church mm-hmm. um, like through the hierarchy or through, you know, through an RCIA program or something like that. That's mostly run by, you know, the diaconate and priests right. and, and have been Catholic their whole life that fidelity we really owe to, uh, to cradle Catholics. So, um, converts, converts aren't just the best, uh, really, really, we all make up this wonderful institution.
0: So now let's, let's go another direction, uh, is to what, um, cradle Catholics have that, that we, who converted later in life miss out on. And again, when I talk about converts, I'm really talking about all of us as we have this continual conversion, but, um, you live in Italy now. You didn't grow up in Italy. You, uh, as it were, are a late in life convert to Italy, and as you move there, there are certain things you pick up on and certain things you appreciate as you go down the street. But there is the truth of the matter is, you will never have that full cultural, uh, you know, saturation of being Italian in that in that native sense. And so there's a lot of things that even though you appreciate, you might not completely or fully understand or even in the mindset of, Uh, and those of us who convert into Catholicism oftentimes face the same thing specifically in those very early years uh, is the title of your book says, okay, I'm Catholic. Uh, And you know, as a, as a convert that specifically for those of us uh, who came out of, you know, I came out of ministry in the Protestant church. So, to me that that process was so long that when I converted it felt like a destination and then at the same time it was the first step of the trailhead. there was so much left to do and there was so much uh, of the culture I didn't understand. That question in the title of your book was very apropos. okay, I'm Catholic. now what?
1: Yeah, you you brought up an analogy that I think now there's like 400 pages in this book. <laughs> I'm looking at the page count now on the PDF and and it says 330 that's after the notes and the conclusion and all this. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember every detail, every iota I wrote, but what I do remember mentioning is something very close to what you said about being in a foreign country. And I do see, I do see conversion like being an immigrant where we need to learn from those who are around us who have been there a little longer. You know, once you become an immigrant, you're not all of a sudden the expert on the po- uh, political culture. You're not all of a sudden the expert on the cultural milieu of that. Of that, You're, you're actually not even an expert in the lingo, mm. right? You're learning the language. You're learning how to talk to everybody. You're learning what time they eat dinner here in Italy, which is like 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> so, so needless to say, the same happens when you convert. Is there's this overwhelming sense of, okay, I know I made the right decision, or, or for, for hopefully for most that that becomes the, the enigma. But there becomes this overwhelming eventually this wall you meet that says, okay, well, now there's a cultural barrier that I'm meeting as well. And that cultural barrier comes out in, you know, the form of defending the faith, you know, or getting even used to the lingo. Like what does it, what is exactly is a cradle Catholic? Or the weird things that happen before and after Mass, like, you know, donut Sunday once a month or something. Those are things that converts aren't used to. They're used to, you know, donuts during service. <laughs> Right. You know, uh, an etiquette like that. There, there's a million things that you don't learn in RCIA, even though they teach you, you know, very well about the precepts and the sacraments, still things that they don't go into that you're eventually going to have to, you know, face or want to learn as quick as possible in order to really do this one thing. And that's called assimilate yourself. You know, um, the Catholic Church is very is very diverse and that's a great thing. But eventually what we want to do is we want to assimilate ourselves into this cultural setting of being a Catholic.
0: One of the things I recall very early in my conversion, uh, I didn't go through the RCIA process because I was working in a Methodist church at the time. And so my, my priest was very kind. He, uh, he told me I clept out. Um, but he, he recognized that it would be kind of awkward as I was working at this Methodist church. And then for about eight months, my wife and I were sneaking to vigil mass um, as we were preparing to come into the church, and um, there was, I just always had this fear someone was going to point and go, "Oh, we saw your your uh, worship minister at our at our Catholic mass right. last night." Uh, and so, yeah, there was it was kind of a nerve wracking process. But uh, while I had gone through the catechism and I understood a lot of the the doctrine, uh, the practice was really foreign to me. So uh, here we are after mass, and we're Catholic, and we received communion. And, um, and then mass is over. The mass goes forth. The last hymn is, uh, is done. And then people where we were in our parish knelt back down and, uh, and prayed a little bit more before they left. And I'm like, is there like a, is there a prayer that I'm supposed to be, you know, is, (laughs) is, is there something that, that they know that I don't, that I'm supposed to be appropriating and and participating in and, and now everyone knows that I don't know because I got up and walked out. And so there's all these little things of practice that are just kind of uh soaked in. They've marinated it in it their whole life. And uh and I'm just kinda on the outside going, I I don't know what's going on. In fact, another thing is I think I'd have been Catholic for um for nearly a year before I found out you were supposed to fast before Mass. Didn't know that.
1: My wife and I have that uh discussion each each Sunday morning and I remind her of her uh, her her one hour obligation. Now, um I remember I have a funny story that's like that. Is I remember right before I I was kind of seeking. I I was I was in the RCIA program I think for just a couple of weeks or maybe thinking about going regularly. But I had a friend who was really working on my conversion. He's a great lay apologist in Omaha. And he really, I mean, he's actually in the dedication to this book. So I owe a lot to him. And and one morning as, as I'm going to mass, because I said, okay, I can't go to mass without you. I'm not going to know what's going on. I went once and they're getting up and kneeling, everybody's standing. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know anything. He's like, I'm going to make it real easy for you. Come sit with me at the 930 mass at St. Robert's on Sunday. And so I did. I got there. I wasn't exactly on time. I wasn't as early as I should have been. And it turns out that, that he was saving my seat in like the second row. And there's like, this is the busiest mass at a family with like seven at a church with 7,000 families. Everybody was there and he's like saving seats and he gets there and, and, and I get there and he's like giggling. And I'm like, what's the matter? I'm late. I'm sorry. And he says, I'm saving seats for a person who's not even Catholic <laughs> at mass. Um, but that that was funny, you know. It, 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 you're absolutely right. I just I just thought it was funny to you pointed out the thing about the pew. That's my pew mm-hmm. story. But I know exactly what you're talking about. There's there's those moments where you, you know we we I often go to these um these monasteries here, and mm-hmm. and I don't really you know I don't go to to a Latin mass all the time, but I, I'm familiar enough to know you know sort of what the cues are. But honestly, I have honestly no idea exactly what's going on. You know exactly what's going on. Not like the people who go to Latin mass every day yeah, and, and to, to beat the horse down, you know, a little bit more, even though I've been a great disciple, I guess, I don't know. I'm still a sinner, you know, culpa, but even though I've been trying my best to become a wholesome and good and useful and productive Catholic for about seven or eight years now, there's still things that I'm like, Sean, you're going to have to be patient with yourself. This is a learning experience. It's going to take a lifetime not going to have it all figured out within a year.
0: Well, I think a big part of it is to recognize with that humility that St. Benedict pushed so much uh, that I I am not the expert and to, you know, I'll never be the smartest person in the room. Always invite into the conversation uh, people who have lived this and have uh, really had this be part of their core culture and glean from that wisdom, right? Recognize that, um, oh, well, you know, even if you've, Got a radio show like me, or written books like you. That there are still depths of the faith that remain unplumbed. There's so much that we can learn from the the wisdom of the church over these last two thousand years, and from those people who have lived it. And and it's you know they might not be able to articulate it and express it uh, because they haven't learned it in an in a uh, academic sort of way. But man, do they know it because they've lived right. it. And that's something I think that a lot of us converts really long for is to, to gather that kind of knowledge. Uh, I, I think that's part of why you wrote this book. So talk a little bit about what, what was it about these topics that really drew you to putting them together uh, in the form of this book, I'm Catholic, Now What?,
1: Great question. What I, what this book actually, every book starts out in a proposal and every book, you know, goes to the printer totally different way than usually the writer and the publisher thought, or at least from the way the writer thought the publisher probably had the right idea the whole time. But I proposed this book kind of like a Catholic bucket list. Like what are the things that every Catholic should know? And then as we started to kind of get into like 10%, 20% of the book, I started to realize this book is really directed towards converts. Like what are the things new Catholics. what's, what's really the problem statement here, not just something that everybody can do, What's really the problem statement that this book needs to address. And so we addressed, you know, the, what are the things that people aren't really learning out of RCIA? Why is 75% of Catholics coming out of RCIA, not at Sunday mass within a year. That's a real statistic throughout the U S. So we wanted to put together things like defending the Catholic faith, you know, learning to be a Catholic in the modern world. Um, How do we evangelize and what exactly does a Catholic-like look like with prayer and Mary and the saints and the sacraments? And how do I even get started on learning all of that?
0: We're talking today with Sean McAfee, founder and editor of EpicPew.com. He's got a new book coming out called I'm Catholic, Now What? It's on our Sunday Visitor Press coming out December 21st. You can get it November 21st on Amazon.com. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. When we come back, we're going to take a deeper dive into the book. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Sean McAfee. You know him. You might not know that you know him, but you know him as the founder and editor of um, EpicPew.com. It's kind of like BuzzFeed for Catholics, just like the 10 things that you need need to know about relics or the, you know, all of those things that you have thought, but you didn't know that you were thinking, you can find it in a short, digestible, fun-to-read place by going to EpicPew.com. Sean, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So right now we're talking about a book that's coming out in uh, December that you can get in, uh, really pre-order it now, but you can also get it on Amazon on November 21st. It's called I'm Catholic, Now What? Uh, And you go over the things that they don't teach you in RCIA. Uh, You know, in RCIA, we talk a little bit about the sacraments and the doctrine and dogma, and we get a sense for what is it that Catholics believe, but then there's a whole lot of what do Catholics do we don't so much cover, right? We talk about prayer to the saints at some point in RCIA, but we don't talk about the fact that there's a very specific prayer that we pray at all of our meals. And yeah, you can pray for your family meals in a certain way, but Really, this is the one that if you go into, uh, someone invites you over to their house for uh, for dinner or for lunch, and it's a Catholic family, this is the prayer they're going to pray, so it's probably a good idea for you to, to have some sense of knowing it. Uh, those day-to-day things just completely get lost. Uh, one of the chapters in the new book is Customs, Courtesies, Rules, and Traditions. And so you're a convert. I want to know what is uh, a story of a custom, courtesy, rule, or tradition that you found out about not by someone telling you, but by tripping up on it and going, oh, wow, apparently this is a thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at the list with you and I was like, man, what's 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 he going to ask me here? I'm going <laughs> to freeze here. So one, one of, I'm going to tell two, okay, is one of the chapters is called Use Your Missile. And it goes back to, I don't know if listeners are, are listening, these segments back to back. But in the other segment that we just recorded, the I told a story about the guy saving a pew for me. And remember how I said, I don't know exactly when to stand. I don't know when to sit. I don't know when to kneel. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. There's got to be a, a place for all of that. He, he showed me how to use the missile but it was so funny. And I I think I say it in this book that he was like, he was like, Sean, you need you, all the answers are right in your missile. It's in the pew. And I'm like, why does the church have weapons of mass destruction? <laughs> okay, so so dad joke there. So that that was one of my stories. And I always make people laugh when I do that. Or they're forced to laugh because it's an awkward kind of dad joke. <laughs> The other one was, we had we had a priest here in Vicenza who, uh, he's a military chaplain, and he is uh, a great priest. He really takes the liturgy seriously. I pointed that out to him all the time. I'm like, thank you for respecting the liturgy, Father James. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm just reading from the book, but okay, you know what I mean. So... So he really likes to incorporate Latin prayers into the Novus Ordo Mass, the Mass that the entire church uh, does. That's you know not in Latin, not the Tridentine Mass. So he likes to do the Agnus Dei, mm-hmm. or um, sometimes he'll do uh, you know a Latin uh, hymn at the end. And I'm looking around, and maybe like five people out of you know 20 people at daily Mass like know it. And those are the people who show up all the time to Father James' masses and I've known him for a couple of years here. Well, I'm like brand new guy on base. And I, I'm sitting in the front row, introducing myself to him as, you know, this Catholic author. And I didn't know all of the words to the onus day. I mean, I've heard it a few times. So I didn't really like take the time to sit and like learn it or go home or even the, uh, the, uh, the Marian, you know, hymns, like I said, he says a hymn at the end. So Um, so there are four hymns, uh, in Latin that are typically sung at the end and actually throughout the the four major seasons in the year, um, that a lot of priests will sing at the end of mass. And I didn't know a lick of those. And so I kind of felt like a little embarrassed. Now this is just my lack of humility and it's your ego talking whenever you're embarrassed, but I really wanted to learn those. So I, those were, those were the ones where I was like, okay, not just in order to impress father peak, but in order to participate more fully in the mass and to appreciate my faith a bit better. And, you know, the faith that we've inherited from these wonderful liturgists, I should learn these Latin prayers. So we go over those both in the book. What is a missile? It's not a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> and It's okay to learn a different language, you know, even if you're learning, you know, not learning it in a way that yeah. you're going to speak it to another on the street.
0: You know, one of the things that trip me up uh, and, and not in a huge way, but um, I was a music director in the Protestant church for a number of years, and you have the, the two big uh, seasons, the two big uh, celebrations of the church, even in the Protestant church. You've got Christmas and Easter. Well, um, on, on Christmas, Christmas Eve, there's always in the Protestant church everywhere I've ever been, um, there's the Christmas Eve uh, service, and it's a candlelight service, and you light the candles and you sing silent night and that's that's kind of the sacrament as it were uh, of christmas eve in the protestant church and then there's no such thing that i've ever been a part of in the protestant church as easter vigil uh where you come the night before easter and have any kind of a service well now you come into the catholic church and it's completely uh it's flipped in terms of the um the pyrotechnics right oh yeah <laughs> i i'm i'm coming to Christmas Eve midnight mass. I'm so stoked. I'm excited, and there's not a candle to be had anywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, where's the where's the German hymn Silent Night with my candles, right? I where <laughs> and it's like, oh, maybe maybe that's not the experience here anymore.
1: Right. And anybody coming from that evangelical experience is definitely gonna gonna realize real quick that. The Latin or the Latin Mass, you know, the Catholic Mass and, and different liturgical celebrations, they are very very different. They're not boring, but they do take they do take a a, a little bit of time to I suppose appreciate and understand, and and there's some learning to be had there.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the other chapters you have is getting the most from the sacraments, and this is I think something that a lot of converts uh, experience because. You go in and you're very excited. You uh, go through RCIA, you go through the Confirmation Liturgy, and, uh, and, and now what, as the title so aptly says. A uh, couple of things that I really kind of wrestled with is, so I'm sitting here in Mass, um, and I'm, I'm going through the liturgy, and, and I'm trying as best as I can to kind of keep up and, and participate in it, uh, but it, it became such a cerebral exercise that now I've, I've received communion and now I'm trying to get some, some spiritual sense out of it as well. It took me a long time before I could really get to the place where it became um, kind of second nature to pray the Mass and not just say, okay, this is what's next, I have to say the right thing. And, uh, and so, yeah, really participating in those sacraments as, as an interior expression and a heart expression, not just a cerebral expression, took me a long time. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. So talk a little bit about what, what was your experience or what are you wanting to convey as you're helping people to understand and appropriate the sacraments in the most meaningful way?
1: Yeah. Well, I hope I can do that because that's different to, to articulate to every single individual. Cause, cause we all view the sacraments through our own little lens of first of all, understanding and bias and, and, and really appreciation. Um, so this reminds me, I was, I was talking to a group of confirmati, uh, they were confirmed a few weeks ago, and uh, the teacher asked me to come into their CCD class and talk to them and and just read a few questions. And they said, they said, why, why does the Catholic Church force us to go to confession once a year and church every Sunday and things like that? And that's the way that a 14-year-old would have written the question. It was actually the way that most adults ask that question as well. So I was like profoundly blown away that this person had the guts and really the, the social intelligence to, to word it the way that a natural person would, even as an adult. I said, this is a question most Catholic adults can't answer. So let me please try to help you. And I think that that goes into the c- cerebral disconnect, or maybe not disconnect, but that cerebral problem, you know, the problem statement, you know, are, am I just going to church every Sunday because the church says I have to? Or am I going every Sunday because I believe in the graces that I receive from it? Mm-hmm. You know, why do I go have to go? What is the actually, it's the minimum. Why is the minimum going to confession just once a year? I'm definitely sinning more often than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, so the cerebral disconnect becomes really, I, I really don't know exactly where to point the blame, um, but I can definitely say that. It needs to be identified very early because what it is is it's tumorous. Yeah, it, it becomes it becomes this weird metastasized indifference over time with a Catholic, with a religious person, or really even in any profession where you start saying, you know, what I file all my emails this way, it just becomes you know second nature. I go to mass this way. I park in the same spot every time. I uh, I, I look at that guy that never holds the door open for me that one way, and that one priest always likes to tell me. Um, he doesn't like to talk in his homily uh, much about the, the scripture readings. He likes to tell me about the planes he flew or something and, you know, the old war or something. And, and we start to kind of, I think we use those kinds of things. I use a lot of things that are nitpicky and kind of the things that might might annoy people. But those things become habits and they start to kind of, I think what they do is they start to become like a certain seasoning in our spiritual life to where we're not looking at the free graces and appreciation for the reality of what these things represent, mass, confession, marriage, mm-hmm. um, the Holy Eucharist, things like that. We start, to, we start to kind of normalize them and nominalize them and then become indifferent to them because they become so familiar. And, and what do I think is the headline? What do I think is, is the only way to really combat that? is to maintain the sheer appreciation of gratitude yeah. um, for what these things are. Mass, I was telling my son, he he celebrates it every day. He's he, God bless his heart. He's going to turn eight soon. He celebrates it every day. And we didn't have any Eucharist toasts. They're a little harder to come by, actually, in Italy, because you've got to go to a specific type of religious store. And sometimes you have to have a priest buy them for you. Um, but we were holding like these Ritz crackers up. And I was saying, Gabriel, do you realize what you're, what you're representing right now and what what you're representing represents one day you could be a priest and the priest that you see every sunday and every day you go to daily mass with me and mom they're not just holding you know a cracker up right they are consecrating that to become this that's why that's why gabriel i need you to hold it over the corporal i need you to very delicately with your thumb scrape it into the chalice when you're done given us our Ritz cookie, right? You know, so, so it, it, the adult translation for that, I think not to go on too much longer, but the adult translation of that becomes that normalization mm-hmm. where, Hey, look, everybody's getting up every, you know, one by one row by row and going up to receive. And so do I, and everybody says the same thing. And so do I, and they say it with the same inflection and the same tone. And it just becomes boring and monotonous and habitual. And whenever the faith becomes habitual, We start to become indifferent to it. We start to care a little less about it. We start to defend it a little less. It just becomes normal. We don't want our faith to be normal. We want our faith to be extraordinary and great, and we want it to change us, and we want it to change the people around us.
0: You know, one of the things that you can do in that situation is do a little bit of an examination and ask yourself the question, what graces do I need today? What graces am I receiving from this sacrament, and what graces am I going to ask of God today? And make it very specific about those things. Have a very specific intention going into Mass to offer that as prayer and to see how God answers you in that with an abundance of His grace. We're talking today with Sean McAfee, author of I'm Catholic, Now What? You can get it on osv.com, Amazon, or wherever fine Catholic books are sold. There's more to my conversation with Sean available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link. When we come back, we're going to have our reading from Scripture and Church History. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we talked with Sean McAfee. He's the founder and editor of EpicPew.com and uh, has a, a brand new book out called I'm Catholic. Now what? We had a wide ranging discussion on the universal call to holiness and our universal need for continual conversion. We have not yet arrived. We still need the sacraments. We still need God's grace. We still need to grow. And we continued our conversation after the broadcast. It's available to all those who support the show through Patreon. We talked a little bit about his love for video games. We had a moment where BBC style, his child burst into the room. It was delightful. Uh, and we had uh, some conversation about his specific spirituality as, uh, as a lay Dominican. That extra segment is available over at outsidethewalls.com When you click that Patreon link, I invite you to go over to do that in celebration of our fifth anniversary, five years on the air today. let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Today's reading comes from the Book of Wisdom. When peaceful stillness compassed everything, and the night in its swift course was half spent, your all-powerful word from heaven's royal throne bounded, a fierce warrior into the doomed land, bearing the sharp sword of your inexorable decree. And as he alighted, he filled every place with death. He still reached to heaven while he stood upon the earth. For all creation in its several kinds was being made over anew, serving its natural laws that your children might be preserved unharmed. The cloud overshadowed their camp, and out of what had before been water, dry land was seen emerging. Out of the Red Sea an unimpeded road, and a grassy plain out of the mighty flood. Over this crossed the whole nation sheltered by your hand, after they beheld stupendous wonders. For they ranged about like horses, and bounded about like lambs, praising you, O Lord, their Deliverer. That reading comes from the Book of Wisdom. And I love the pictures there. Of course, Sister Teresa Alathea Noble also would love the pictures here because this is a very memento mori moment, right? Um, Here, the warrior comes into the doomed land bearing the sharp sword of God's inexorable decree, and he filled the place with death. He reached to heaven while he stood on the earth. Of course, this is a lovely picture of the deliverance of the children of Israel through the Red Sea. And here, I picture this moment of continual conversion as they are escorted out of slavery and into freedom through a kind of a nerve-wracking situation. Yeah, okay, it's dry land, but that means that there is a wall of water to your left and to your right, and there's certainly this moment of, "I, I could die at this moment. It is very much... Uh, memento mori, remember that we are to die, and then live in light of that. And I think memento mori helps us in a very specific way, uh, just like those photographs that scroll across my screen. Uh, As we see how quickly the children grow, even that is a memento mori moment. Even if it's not, hey, I might die one day, it is one day my children will be out of the house and I have to make the most of it now. It's not a a physical death, although that's certainly part of it when taken to its logical conclusion, but it certainly is. I have limited time to make the most of this, and so that calls us to conversion, and I love this. For all creation in its several kinds was being made over anew, and this is what God wants to do with us, to make us over anew so that we might all. Preserved unharmed. Our reading from church history today comes from a second century homily. Let us be sure that when the day of judgment comes, our place will be among those who give thanks to God and have served Him, and not with the ungodly who face condemnation. As for myself, I'm only a sinner, not yet beyond the reach of temptation. But even amidst all the devil's machinations, I still strive to make progress and hope to attain at least some virtue, for I fear the judgment that awaits me. My brothers and sisters, you have heard the word of God, who is the very fountainhead of truth. Therefore, now I read you an appeal to heed what is written and thereby save both yourselves and your reader. The reward I ask is that you repent with your whole heart to save yourselves and find life. If we do this, we shall set an example for all young people for whom the glory and goodness of God is a challenge to be generous in his service. Let me say also that when we are given a warning and corrected for doing something wrong, we should not be so foolish as to take offense and be angry. There are times when we are unconscious of the sins that we commit because our hearts are fickle, lacking in faith. Feudal desires becloud our minds. We need to pull ourselves up, therefore, because our very salvation is at stake. Those who keep God's commandments will have reason to rejoice. For a short time in this world, they may have to suffer, but they will rise again, and their reward will endure forever. No one who holds God in reverence should grieve over the hardships of this present time, for a time of blessedness awaits him. He will live again in heaven in the company of all those who have gone before him. For all eternity he will rejoice, never to know sorrow again. So do not be disturbed at the sight of wicked men possessing great wealth while the servants of God suffer want. We, my brothers and sisters, must have faith, competing as we are in the arena of the living God. We are receiving the training in this present life that will make us worthy to be crowned in the life to come. No honest man becomes rich overnight. He has to wait for the rewards of his labors. If God gave virtue an immediate recompense, we should straightway find ourselves engaging in commerce instead of perfecting ourselves in his service. Although to all outward appearance we might be irreproachable, we should not be seeking God but our own advantage and bringing down on our sinful souls the divine judgment that would soon make us feel the full weight of our chains. So, to the one invisible God, the Father of truth, who sent forth the Savior, the author of immortality, and through him revealed to us the truth and the heavenly life. To him be glory throughout all ages, forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from a second century homily. And boy, doesn't that just wrap up our show today. Uh, in a nice little bow, we are called to continually pursue holiness, not to set back or get comfortable or think, Hey, I've got this figured out. Because even if our outward appearances should show righteous actions, it matters what's in our heart, right? Even if we have all the right Bible studies and we're doing all the right things and we're going to mass, if we are not spending time purifying our interior life, spending time focusing on that relationship with God, then everything else, is for naught. It's as Paul told the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's this big balancing act that's going on because we, we spend our time in, in joyous gratitude for the gift of God's grace. We receive it in the sacraments. Uh, we have been given this free gift. And so, yes, we ought to be uh, rejoicing. This ought to be a, a source of gladness for us, that we are recipients of that grace. But we should also have the same humility of the the author of the homily, that we still are a sinful people. We still are not beyond temptation. And it's so easy for us to to rest back into that and say, oh, no, no, I'm good. I've received the grace. we're, We're settled now. And to no longer push upward into that universal call to holiness, no longer seeking to deepen that relationship with God and the truth of the matter is, the, the Christian life is a steep climb. And if we are not progressing, then we are regressing. If we are not pushing closer into that relationship, then that relationship is getting more distant. And the Holy Spirit is drawing us, drawing you and me to be present in the sacrament, not just sitting in the pew, not just going forward to receive, but to be mentally and spiritually present in that moment, to commune with God, not merely by physically consuming the host, but by spiritually joining ourselves through that physical communion in a spiritual communion. God is calling us to be made more and more into his likeness, conformed into the likeness of his Son, through which we have consolation, through which we can face the difficulties of our, of our day, of our month, of our life, because we're in communion, in union, in relationship with a God who made us and who loves us. Well, as this episode draws to a close and we celebrate five years on the air, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this listening audience. Uh, of being a part of this conversation for the last five years. And I want to encourage you to be a part of this ongoing conversation on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls or on Patreon, go to outside the walls.com click that Patreon link. Today's show is brought to you by Ryan and Sarah Jefferson and doctors, Michael and Julie Highlands and all those who support the show through Patreon until next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you.